So thank you for uh, allowing me that high privilege. Uh, I enjoy it. It is work. Uh, I find that sometimes throughout the week as I'm preparing uh, the message, I, I get too much, and that's what I have for you guys this morning, is I have so much good stuff, and I'm like, oh, I normally have, I come up here with normally like four pages of information, because if I get too much, then I get like, oh, it's too much, I can't get all in the message. But today, I think I have like 11 pages, so you guys are, it's Pentecost, you guys are good to stay here for like five hours, right? Uh, <laughs> Um, right? We're Pentecostal. I can preach Pentecostal. I can maybe raise my voice and yell at you a little bit, have some spit fly. That normally happens on a Sunday morning anyways. Um, but uh, uh, I want to pray that God helps me because I know that sometimes I come with two fish and five loaves. This morning I think I came with five fish and maybe ten loaves. And I need the Lord to not multiply it and bless all you guys. I need him to do that. But I need him to figure out which loaves and which fish to actually use. So um, I, as we were praying this morning, uh, praying with some elders, it was actually really good. We were thinking about how um, God speaks every language. There is no demand, right? Obviously. Um, but he speaks even languages we don't know. We're going to talk about that, right? That unknown languages and all these things that God speaks to me as I was praying. He speaks our love language. So not just English and Chinese and, you know, Spanish, all these things. He speaks to us in a way that only I understand. Like when I hear how God speaks to my wife, I'm like, God never speaks to me that way. Like sometimes like, I wish he spoke so clearly, like he speaks to you, to me, right? But he speaks to each one of us uniquely. And so that's what I'm going to pray this morning is that even as words are coming out of my mouth, that somehow the Holy Spirit would do a miracle and we each would get fed a tailor-made message. Does that make sense? So I'm going to pray, but you would you join me in praying that each one of us would have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning? So this is on you. As, as you heard Janine say, if you're coming tonight, come hungry, come expectant. So I am encourage you even right now, be hungry for the Word of God, right? Because if you're not hungry, I know, I've shared this before, I grew up in this church as a kid. I've fallen asleep in many of these pews, right? Listening to Pastor Styles. Do I, I don't probably should name all the pastors, right? I've, I've fallen asleep under. Um, and so if I see you falling asleep, it's not going to hurt my feelings because I did it too. So, but the idea is I don't want you falling asleep. If you're really hungry, oh, can I even say this? I can tell. This isn't, I don't mean like I'm judging people, but I can tell who's really hungry. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I realize I'm like, I'm really looking at somebody because I'm like, oh, they're hungry. I'm like, they're on the edge of their seat. They're nodding. They're smiling. Like, oh, they're getting what I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, I'll keep preaching at them. So do me a favor. Even if you don't, even if you're not hungry, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Pretend like you are hungry. Make me feel good this morning. So let's pray that we're not faking it. Let's pray that we really do have ears to hear. So let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your spirit is alive inside each one of us. The same spirit that rose you from the dead, Jesus, lives and dwells in us. So would you breathe life into us where we have ears to hear, where we're not dead, where we don't have dead ears, God, but that you bring resurrection life to our very bones. So I thank you that your word itself is living and it's active. It's sharp. And so, Holy Spirit, would you make it a rhema word that pierces my heart? God, I know I've studied. I've spent this week, God, preparing things, but I ask that you would do something new. Every day is a new day, so I pray there would be a fresh anointing on your word this morning, and that we would have ears to hear what your spirit has to say. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so we are going to read from the Pentecost story, which is in Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open up Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can grab one of those. You can grab your phone, your iPad, whatever you got. You can open one of those. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. So if you have an app and it's easier, you can open up that app. Um, I am going to have it on a slide up here. It might be hard to read because it's a whole four, whole four verses all in one slide. So you can pick... Pick your poison? That's probably a bad way of saying that, huh? You can pick your medicine. Um, you can pick which, which words, how you want to read it. But we're going to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And actually, I should open my Bible. I don't even have it in my notes. I got my old thumping Bible, physical Bible. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so that is our launch pad for today. We're going to be referencing that over and over again. We're talking about Pentecost. That's the title of this morning's message. Is Pentecost, and I got three points for our Pentecost. It's the setup, the soaking, and the sign, and we're going to look at this context of where we're going. Um, but the setup, 
You guys have heard maybe this story before. If you like me, you know the story of Pentecost. You know that the church was birthed on Pentecost, right? That that's when the church began. That Peter, as you keep reading these next few verses, that they began speaking in tongues. Jerusalem was filled with thousands of people from every nation, it says, was there. And as they went out of that room, they heard them praising God in every single language, right? And so there was, it was a sign and a wonder, and then Peter gave this great message, we're not going to read it all, gave this great sermon, and 3,000 were added, right, to the, to the body of Christ. And it was the beginning of the explosion of the church. And so I love that, right? But I want to look at the setup. I'm calling it the setup because there was things that Jesus had to set up for this to happen. And even if you go back in the Old Testament, I love what Pastor Robert Morris says from Gateway Church in Texas. He says, anything you find in the New Testament, he can find in the Old Testament. They're, they are so linked and together, and they're connected. In fact, oh man, this is not in my notes, but you're stuck with I prayed that God would give me fresh things, right? So this might just be my own thinking. It might be the Holy Spirit. Um, but I shared on Wednesday, um, that early, on Wednesday night service, that early in the day I'd come in here to pray, and I had some worship music on, and I just, oh, I was enjoying God's presence. And then I laid down on one of those pews, and I actually fell asleep in God's presence. I fell asleep. But when I woke up, I looked up in the rafters, and I saw I was laying right underneath. You can tell where the old beams are of the original sanctuary and the expansion. You guys can look at it, right? You see the thicker beams right there? I was laying right in between them, and I was seeing, looking at the transition from the old to the new, and that there has to be a connecting place. There has to be a place where the old connects to the new. So that's physically, I can see it, and I, got, I was just getting a download. This is, I didn't know it was for this morning. I thought it was just for me, but I'm not going to go into all of it. Um, but there was all kinds of things. Like, I'm 40 years old this year, and that's like middle-aged, right? I'm no longer young, but I'm not really old, or am I old and young? I may be both, right? I'm in this place of transitioning from being right, young, that I can do everything I did when I was 20, can't quite do all that the same anymore, um, right, but I'm in this transition period, and I feel like what God is saying, Pentecost, there had to be things set up for this transition, the old and the new, there was this Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament, and he says, I'm not coming to do away with it, I'm coming to fulfill it and bring you into the new, to bring you into this, and so he had to set things up, the stage had to be set, and so in the New Testament, you see that Jesus is doing that, right? Before Pentecost, what does Pente Pentecost mean, right? Pente comes from the word 50, right? 50. There was a celebration. Jesus, okay, you're stuck with my, I love Jewish history. I love reminding you guys of all of our history as Christians, that we are grafted in to the children of Israel, right? And so, oh man, you're stuck with all kinds of Bible trivia in my head. I got all kinds of things running. Does anyone remember... And if you ask me point blank, I might stumble too, so it's okay. But does anyone remember there is lots of holidays and festivals that the Lord instituted in the Old Testament, but there's three that every male was supposed to go to Jerusalem, make a voyage. So one was when Jesus passed away. I'm giving you big hints. Passover, okay, Passover. Passover, when Jesus died in Passover, he fulfilled the New Testament. He fulfilled what happened in Exodus, right, where the... A death angel passed over because they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their household. And we put Jesus' blood over the doorposts of our lives. And death no longer has, death has been swallowed up by life, right? So Jesus fulfilled that. Then there's a second one, Pentecost. We call it Pentecost in the New Testament. That's the Greek, right? Latin's coming from that. But really the Old Testament, Jewish, they called it the first fruits or the um, festival of weeks. Why do they call it weeks? Because Seven times seven is 49 and plus a day. So seven is like a holy that Jesus created, right, in six days. And the seventh day he rested. So there's seven days meant completion or wholeness. So if you had seven times seven, that was like perfection, completion, right? And so 50 was just added day. And so Pentecost, so we're going to read some in the Old Testament. But you see Jesus is setting the stage. He's saying, all right, Easter, right, we celebrate his resurrection, death and resurrection. I call that the highest of holy days. But really what Jesus is saying is, but there's more, right? Wait, but there's more. It's not just about Easter. We should be excited and celebrate Easter. But Jesus is saying, no, wait, wait. He gave this great commission in Matthew. And he's talking to his disciples. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. But then Luke adds this, but wait, before you go, tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Wait until you are endued with power from on high. There's something you need to go do what I've called you to do. You got salvation. That's great. But that was a setup for the next. There's actually more. As you heard me praying for more, I want more of God's presence. There's always more to who God is. He's an infinite God. And there's always more to him. If you want more of God, he's got more than enough. 
And so Jesus is setting the stage for there's more. I promise you all, there's, it's better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit. So there's this setup in the New Testament, but I want to read to us some passages in the Old Testament. Get some, we're going to learn a little bit. So you can put on your student hat. I'll put on my teaching hat. And we're going to read from Exodus, um, the setup. So I'll give you, it's in Exodus chapter 19. If you want to turn there, I'm going to just give some snippets. We're not going to read all the way through chapter 19 and 20. Um, but if you want to turn in your Bible, you can, if you can do, if you're like my wife, if you're a woman and you can read and listen at the same time, go for it. If not, don't try. I, I, right? I can't do that. Um, but the setup, you guys are remembering, I just told you about Exodus, right? They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So you have to imagine, put yourself, that's, if you were an Egypt, not an Egyptian, if you were an Israelite living in Egypt before the Exodus, all you knew was slavery. All you knew was bondage. All you understood and thought like was like a slave. Then Moses shows up one day, right? Says, let my people go. And actually, I love this. He says, let me take the Israelites out into the wilderness that they can go meet with God. And you'll see later on that actually happens, right? But Pharaoh says, no way. And so we know the plagues happen. And finally, the Passover, right? The firstborn, Pharaoh's son dies. And so finally says, get out of here. And he does not only let, not only does he let them go, they are blessed beyond measure. They are given all the gold and earrings, and they're just given all this treasure, and they say, get out of here, right? And um, I love this. It's just really quick. If you guys saw in the news um, that Pastor Cheon, you guys know who Cheon is over at Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, um, just last week, uh, huge victory. It took a year of fighting in the, in the courts um, and was losing in all the lower courts until it went to the Supreme Court. He got all this Supreme Court, and he won in the Supreme Court, and saying that our government in California cannot dictate what churches can do in worship. That, so from now on moving forward, right, they cannot say that we can't gather. There's a limited amount of people. There's all the things. They can't treat us. We are essential. So if grocery stores are open, the churches are open, right? And I love it as you read the testimony that it says kind of like when they left Egypt. Not only did they win, but Pastor Cheon, he actually got paid all his legal fees. Millions of dollars were all paid back to him. And so I just, I picture that same thing, that Pharaoh had to give gold and give all these things to the children of Israel, that the enemy who was trying to persecute the church had to pay back, right? And so I just love that. Man, you're getting all kinds of random stuff that was not prepared. Um, but I'm sharing all that because there's a setup. These Israelites, they leave Egypt and all they've known is slavery. But now they are saved. They are saved from slavery. They're saved and delivered from Egypt, from Pharaoh, from the devil, right? You're seeing all the analogies, right? And then they're taken, and they're leaving, and then they get stuck at the Red Sea, right? So they had to know God, Yahweh, as their Savior. But now they had to follow him as Lord. Moses and God says, all right, now you're going to walk on dry land. You're going to walk through these walls of water, and you're just going to follow my lead. What? So they had to follow Yahweh as their Lord. Now he was their Savior. Now he's their Lord. And to me, I love all the analogies. They're being baptized, right? They're going through the waters, the waters of baptism. They go through baptism. They go through the waters. Then they finally get to Mount Sinai, which is where I'm the setup of where we're trying to get to. And so this Pentecost, there was 50 days from the Passover, the very first Passover in Egypt, 50 days later, they are at Mount Sinai. That's where we're at. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, it says this. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So yeah, you got it. I gave you the whole setup. Now there's the scripture to point it out. You guys are getting it? And I love that it says in the third month, so it doesn't confuse you. If I do three months, I'm like, wait a second, like 30 days, 60, that's like 90 days, right? If you do the study, you find out, actually, it wasn't the beginning of the third month that they left Egypt. It was towards the end of the first month. So the end of the first month, say 10 days left in the month, a full month, that's be 30 plus 10, and then about 10 days into the third month, there you go, 50, 30, and 10 on each in the, in the first and third month. So you see they're here. They don't actually say that. So I'm saying this because scholars all read into this, and they say, yes, this is when it happened. It doesn't actually explain it perfectly in Scripture, but this points out in the third month. Um, they land here. So now verse 2 says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
So this is, to me, the reason for Pentecost. The reason for God delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. The reason why you were saved from your sins. The whole purpose and reason of Pentecost is to have relationship. God wants relationship with you. He brought you out of slavery. He brought you out of sin. He brought you out of bondage. He saved you so that he can have relationship with you. He brought the Israelites out of Egypt, not just to take them to a promised land. Yes, that's part of it. But above and beyond that, Pentecost, the purpose of Pentecost was for relationship. Yahweh is talking to his people. He's saying, I am the Lord of all the earth and I've chosen you. You are my special treasure. And I'm calling you to be a holy nation, set apart. You are a royal priesthood, right? We hear in 1 Peter, right? But you're this kingdom of priests. This is where you get stuck with your pastor saying all the time, I'm God's favorite. Here's another verse that I point to it. Because God reminds me, he's picked me from among all the earth. Ryan, you're mine. I chose you, and I say that you're God's favorite. I don't say I'm any more important than you, but I want you to understand that God, Yahweh, is talking to these slaves. He's saying, you're not just free, you're actually my people. I'm actually calling you out to have personal, intimate relationship with me. I want you not just to know me through a church, through a pastor, but individual, personal relationship. But the story goes on. They were set up to have this beautiful exchange with Yahweh. And I'm going to skip to verse 5. And it says this. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the, the sound of the trumpet. Oh, actually, I jumped all the way to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 18. Sorry. I, I, you guys are all wondering where I'm at. Chapter 20. So I'm, I'm skipping stuff. Chapter 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They stood afar off. Keep reading. I'm skipping some verses here. I'm going all the way through 21. I'm, I'm just cherry picking. Then they said, don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid for God has come in this way. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. I'm painting the picture for a setup. God's scripture is painting the picture for the setup of what he wants to speak to his people, to you. You've heard your pastor say, I'm not content with just giving you a ticket to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. I want that. But I want you to experience more than that. We're just saying that, that heaven would come here on earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that heaven would be here on earth. Just as it is in heaven, we would live life here on earth. God is speaking to his children, and he's saying, you don't have to be just freed from slavery, from bondage. You can actually enjoy a relationship with me. But the people see the thunderings, the lightnings. They see the fear of God, and the fear of God makes them take a step back, a step away. I think there's a lot of people that when it comes to Pentecost, there's a lot of Christians today that take a step back from God. Pentecost? Oh, you're talking about speaking in tongues and all that weird stuff? I might take a step back from that stuff. I mean, I want God. I want to go to heaven. I want a relation with him. But all those thunderings and all that weird stuff, that's a little too much for me. so funny. I shared this in our prayer time, and it was not in my notes. There's too much in here. But in my studying, there was rabbis that they say when they, they study this, they say that word in Hebrew for thunderings, that they heard the thunderings. They say that it could be translated the voices. They could hear the voices of God. They were at Mount Sinai, and all these voices of God were too overwhelming for them. I don't want to hear these unknown languages, so I'm going to take a step back. You see it in Acts chapter 2. Oh, these guys are drunk. That's weird. And they didn't get any of it. But God is saying, I've set you up. And I love what Moses said. But no, don't be afraid. God has come in this way. God has come in this way. He's a mysterious God. There should be fear and trembling before God. It should not just be this easy relationship with him. There should be 
This is too beyond my understanding. I don't understand. That's who God is. He's a mysterious God, but he invites us into the mystery. And he's inviting the children of Israel. Come have a relationship. He's, I mean, on purpose, he's showing his power. He's showing what his presence looks like. Hmm. I got stuck. I prayed with it. I even looked at my notes yet. I'm skipping all kinds of stuff, and I'm throwing other things in, which means I'm throwing a whole lot out. My own personal testimony. I grew up in this church. I grew up in a good godly home. When I was in kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher had lunch with me and led me to the Lord. I, I followed the Lord all my life. I've always been a Christian since as long as I can remember. I've had a relationship with God. But there was a point in time where I encountered the presence of God a little bit like this. Also, it was when I was in junior high at a youth camp from Osmond Neighbor Church. And I was worshiping God. I was singing. I, I loved God. And so I was singing. And in that, I just, I could sense the presence of God. And so I, I laid down. And it was, there was freedom to do that. And so I just laid down. And as I laid down, it was like thunderings. And I don't know how else to explain it. I felt the heaviness. I couldn't get up if I tried. Like I couldn't do a push-up. I was laying on the ground. And the heaviness, the weightiness of God's glory was all over me. And I began to feel my hands tremble and shake like an earthquake. My hands were physically shaking, but I, I don't know how to explain it. It felt like electricity was going through my shoulders, pulsing through my hands. I was under the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I, don't, I can't tell you how long that was happening, but it was the presence of God was so real, so tangible, I was encountering it in a physical way, an emotional way, a spiritual way. I was loving the Lord God with all that was within me. But the Holy Spirit came in a way and filled me in a way that it wasn't just Ryan's physical words coming out of my mouth. I'll tell you, I didn't speak in tongues that time. Man, I'm way ahead of myself. I'm jumping all over the place. But my youth pastor recognized, man, Ryan was having an encounter with the presence of God. And he was a good enough youth pastor that after he got back from camp, he invited me to go have lunch with him. And he picked me up in an Osborne church van. I'll never forget it. Just the two of us, and we parked, and inside that church van, he said, Ryan, have you ever heard about speaking in tongues before? I'm like, yeah, and I was kind of the same thing. Like, that's kind of weird. I've heard my parents do it. And I'm like, I'm not really interested. That's just like weird stuff. And he's like, but I saw at camp, you were hungry for the presence of God. He's like, would you even be interested in receiving that gift? And I said, yeah, in that place. I was like, yeah, I would. And so in a church van, he prayed for me to receive the gift of tongues. And I was weird. I was like, I don't know how to get anything. He said, just make a sound, make a noise. And so I, I, I finally was obedient to make a noise. And I got like two words. I don't even remember what they were. Two words in an unknown language. And he's like, you got it. I was like, I only got two words. He's like, yeah, that's it. Just keep using those same two words over and over again. And so I did. I had to exercise that gift. I had to, man, I am so, I'm out of order, but God knows what he's doing. Because there's a, right? I'm saying there's a setup. And there's a, there's a soaking and there's a sign. This is the sign. That speaking in tongues is a sign of being, encountering the presence of God. And so I want to, as much as I can, demystify that and invite you into the craziness, the weird, the thunderings, the voices of God, the supernatural language that God not only spoke on that first Pentecost in Exodus, you see it again in Acts. Now people were speaking the thunderings of God. So I'll see if I can get back on track a little bit. So the people stood afar off, but Moses, it says Moses went into the cloud. Moses went into the darkness. Moses went to where there was lightnings and fire and clouds and smoke and wind and all that. He went into the presence of God. I don't know about you, but... I think tonight, I'm, 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 I'm giving some teaching right now because I feel like I can't teach tonight. I feel like tonight is an encounter and an experience. We tasted during worship, which is great. I loved worship this morning. But I feel like what the Lord has for tonight, it needs, as much as I can, give some explanation for those who think this is weird, like me at one point. So I'm giving you the setup of why God does things the way he does sometimes. So, 
I told you the name of Pentecost has lots of other names. A feast of weeks. It's also called the first fruits. It's in this harvest schedule that it was the very first fruits of the grains, the very first time they could harvest wheat. Ah, then this was this festival. You would go take that first cutting, like tithe and offering. The tithe is the first fruit, the first 10%. That's what Pentecost was, the first fruits of the harvest. And that's what you see in the beginning of Exodus, right here. You see God saying, I want to have relationship with you. It's the beginning of having a relationship, but it was only Moses. Unfortunately, he wanted everyone. He wanted the whole harvest, but it was just the first fruits. You see that Moses went in there and he eventually got to know Yahweh, not just as a savior, not just as Lord, but as a father. And as you read in scripture, as a friend. I think Pentecost, the purpose of Pentecost is to go deeper in relationship with God. He's not content with the level of relationship he has with you right now. So he wanted to do something. Let's institute a festival. Let's celebrate a day where I can have greater intimacy with my people. You see it in Exodus. You see it in Acts. The purpose of Pentecost, I had a whole bunch of purposes. The purpose of Pentecost is to encounter presence. The purpose of Pentecost is to create a people of presence. I've shared this before, that you see in Exodus, as they wandered in the wilderness... These Israelites, they didn't camp around a sermon. They didn't camp around a worship set. They camped around presence. Wherever the presence of God and a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, wherever that pillar moved, they moved. And when it stood still, they camped around it. They put the tabernacle in the middle and they camped around the presence of God. I'm believing what God is doing in 2021, this very Pentecost at Osmond Church, is he's creating a people of presence. I've said this for years. That's part of my heart. The culture I want to create at Osborne is that we go after presence. I love the word of God. Like I said, I study it. I meditate on it. I prepare a whole bunch for you on Sunday mornings. But more than us just being people of the word, I want us to be people of presence. I want us to be lovers of his presence. The purpose of Pentecost was to empower these slaves to become royalty. This kingdom of priests. That's what we just read. He's saying, I want to transform you, but you will only be transformed in my presence. It's not through just reading scripture. Scripture is a big part of it, but it's actually presence. It's actually encounter. It's actually experiential knowledge. Like I've preached from day one of being the pastor here. Yada, that Hebrew word. As Moses, right? As Adam, Yada, Eve. And bore Cain and Abel, right? Adam didn't just look at Eve and say, let me know your name. Oh, you have yellow hair. Or he didn't just have information about her. He got to know her on an intimate level. And it produced something. God is saying he wants to produce first fruits in your life. That's the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, all they ever did is they brought first fruits to God. They brought the harvest of wheat or whatever it was, and they brought it to God. In Acts, you see God bringing the first fruits to his people. It's the Holy Spirit's work. It's not all up to us to bring these things to God. It's the Holy Spirit in us that brings the first fruits. Hmm. I love what happened at Mount Sinai. If you didn't catch it, you, if you, I saw some of you had your Bibles open. You probably caught it. I skipped over in chapter 19 and then went to the end of 20. What happened in the middle in your Bible? Did anyone catch it? Something important you learned in Sunday school. Ten Commandments. That's what happened at Pentecost. The Ten Commandments were given. The Word was given at Pentecost. The very, very first Pentecost, the Word of God written down for the first time by God's own hand was given to his people. The very first Pentecost in Exodus was the first commandment, the first covenant. We read it. I want to covenant with you. You're my people. Pentecost, the purpose of Pentecost is covenant. Not just a relationship, but covenantal relationship. That God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You read throughout the Old Testament. These people, the, old, the Israelites, they're crazy. 
They would worship God, God would bless them, and then they would turn their back on God and go do whatever they wanted to do. And God, it would stir up God's anger, right? We know the whole cycle of judges, right? All those things. But God says, I'll never completely wipe you out. I always will leave a remnant. I will never completely leave you nor forsake you. God will allow difficult times. You're like, you want to turn your back on God? He will allow sin to have its way in, in your life. But he'll leave the 99 and go after you. He'll never leave you. He'll never give up on you. He's in covenant relationship with you. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. So you see that in the very first Pentecost in Exodus, he's creating covenant relationship. Then in Acts, it's the new covenant. It's the New Testament, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament. He's saying, I'm going to write the word of God on a stone tablet. But the New Testament, no, I'm going to write it on your hearts. There's this idea that there's so much connecting, as I said, those rafters. The old and the new, they connect. The old covenant, the new covenant, they connect. So Pentecost is, to me, is connecting the old you and the new you. What do I mean by that? So I'll switch into the next point, the soaking. Pentecost is about soaking. That word soaking, I just want to clear the air. Several years ago, that was a word we used around here, and some people didn't like it, some people liked it. I just want to tell you, I understand both sides, and I'm sensitive to both sides. At the same time as the pastor, I'm telling you, I like the word. I like the word soaking for many reasons. I'll get into a whole bunch of them, probably not all the ones I listed because that would take too long. But Moses, before he got the stone tablets, it says that he and Joshua went up the mountain. And it says that Moses was gone for 40 days. There was some waiting, some soaking in God's presence that had to take place. The people of God that didn't go into God's presence... They missed it, right? They created a golden calf. They created other things to go worship. And God is saying, no, actually, you got to get into my presence. That's what's needed. This time of waiting. Soaking means waiting. As I quoted, Luke said, yeah, you'll be endued with power from on high, but you got to wait. There's some soaking time that takes place. So where am I getting this soaking? I remember before I was the pastor here, I'll say 15 years ago, I remember hearing a lot. There was kind of a prophetic word. And the verses used was from Luke 5. That the Lord wants to put new wine into new wineskins. So I want to read that to you. In Luke chapter 5, verse 37 to 39. I think I have a slide. Make it easy on you. Jesus says this. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. I love what Luke adds. This is actually in multiple Gospels, but Luke adds that very end. The one who drinks the old wine seems to want, doesn't seem to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Why am I saying this and connected to soaking? Because I remember when I heard this about 15 years ago, I thought it was kind of like a judging, con like condemning thing. Like, if you're old, God can't use you anymore. Thank goodness I'm getting old, God can still use me, right? It has nothing to do with old. Because as it says this, it says that he wants to pour new wine into new wineskins. Let me give you a little bit of teaching here. That word new is not the same. We have it the same. New wine, new wineskins. In the Greek... Those are two different words. I got a slide for it. It says this, Mark 2.22. New wine calls for new wineskins. That new wine is neos, which means new, right? Recently born, young. So it's like new wine that you just harvested the grapes. It's grape juice. It's not fermented yet. It's not wine. It's grape juice. You just squeezed. It's brand new juice from a grape. It's brand new. But he says, new, wines, new wine calls for, what is it? Uh, what do I got up here? Kynos, which is fresh, a new kind, right? Unprecedented. Fresh. So really it should say, new wine calls for fresh wineskins. It has nothing to do with age. You can be an old wineskin 
and actually get new wine. How does that happen? I looked up what wineskins looked like back in Jesus' day, and I'll tell you, they kind of look like an R-O-U-S. Does anyone know what R-O-U-S is? Right? Rodents of unusual size, Princess Bride. That's what a wineskin looks like. It's pretty gross. As I saw that picture, a whole bunch of things came to my mind. I thought, that's probably what angels think when they look at humans. God, you want to put your, you want to put your Holy Spirit in that thing? Like, what are you thinking? I think, I look at that thing, and I say, I don't want to drink anything that comes out of that. That's what I think. But the Lord is interesting. He's saying, I can take an old, shriveled up wineskin, and I can put new wine into it. But it takes a process. See, a new wineskin, freshly, I don't know, skinned, I don't know if it's a goat or what that is, right? Freshly skinned and tied up and whatever else, it's ready to go. Why do you drink it out of that? I have no idea why you want to drink it out of a dead carcass, but that's what they did. Um, but an old wineskin, it had been years, and it's been set in the sun, it's been baked by the sun, right? It's cracked. If you were to put new wine in there, it's going to burst. So it's, but you can actually get an old wineskin renewed, made fresh. How do you do that? You soak it in oil. Amen. You soak an old wineskin in oil in the presence of God yes. with the Holy Spirit surrounding you. You spend time in his presence and you soak. And it takes time. It's not you dip it in oil and it's good to go. It's not 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. You dip in some praise and worship and you're good to go. That's not soaking. That's enjoying God's presence. I enjoy God's presence. To soak, it's going to take time. I talked about how God speaks love languages. I don't remember all five of them. You guys remember Gary Smalley's all five, right? Acts of service, words of affirmation. I'm trying to do all five, but I don't know all five. But one of them is time. God loves when you do things for him. If you love me, you'll obey me. He loves when you obey him. It speaks, it's his love language. He loves when you praise and worship him, when you're just adoring him and with your mouth you're telling him all the good things about him, you're thanking him for all the blessings. He loves that, that love language. But he also loves the love language of time. We are not telling God anything. You're just being in his presence and just whispering, I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you. You're not asking for anything. You're just spending time with him. You're soaking in his presence. I loved it on Wednesday night, uh, even Nick didn't know, uh, he quoted Mother Teresa, right? Dan Rather had an interview with her and asked her, so when you pray, what do you tell God? She's like, I listen. So Dan Rather said, okay, okay, when you pray, what does God say you, to tell you? Well, he listens. <laughs> right? And he's just confused, right? Because I think a lot of people are confused. What do you mean by soaking? I can try to teach you. I can try to explain it through scripture. I can dance up here and give you all kinds of information. Really, it comes from experience. Mother Teresa is trying to tell Dan Rather, this is what it's like to spend time with God. And Dan Rather's like, I don't get it. You listen, he listens. So who's talking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what soaking is. It's not just praise and worship. I, I, I enter into times of soaking where I am worshiping. That's a great way to enter in, but it's just being. I'll tell you, there's times when I'm with my wife, right, where we're not saying anything. I'm just sitting down next to her holding her hand. And that could be some of the most intimate things happening where I'm not saying anything. We're just together in that moment. The Lord wants the love language of time. Thinking about, really quick, another analogy. I don't have time to fully unpack all of it. But my backyard, I paid a decent amount of money to take 10 truckloads of dirt out of my backyard and put up a retaining wall. And then I brought in two truckloads of dirt, good dirt. Why? Because my, back, my house, I live up in the hills, is nothing but clay. It's all rock and clay. That's, there's no nutrients in the dirt whatsoever. My dirt, my backyard dirt, I've got a tree, an old tree that's got deep roots, if I don't ever water that thing, it seems to be fine. It doesn't need anything. If I want to plant grass or anything else, I have to break up this hard ground. And I can't go, I, I, I tried it the first time. I went to Home Depot and I rented a tiller and I didn't soak the, the ground for, it was just dry, hard ground. I took the rototiller and it was just bouncing on top of the dirt and nothing was happening. It's like, what is going on? I'm like, I took it back to Home Depot, I'm like, this thing doesn't work. And the guy said, well, did you get the ground wet? I'm like, no. 
He's like, you have to soak the dirt first, you idiot. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. And I feel like that's sometimes, I think that's what angels say to us. We're these old wineskins. We want new wine. They're like, idiot, you got to soak first. You got to break up the hard ground. We keep saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit. Well, it doesn't just come in a one-time event. Yes, that does. I get it. Like I shared with you my testimony of being that young kid and God just came in. But if I want more, I realize I've got some wrinkles now. I'm all shriveled. I've got some cracks. I've got some things that I've caused problems in my life. And I need to soak in the presence of God so he deals with those things. You read in Acts, it says that they were together in one room, 120 people together in one room in one accord. Let me remind you who those people were. The sons of thunder. We're the greatest. Peter saying, oh, they all might leave you, Jesus, but I won't. Right? You had zealots. You had tax collectors, fishermen. You had people that had coarse language. Right? You had all these groups of people that were very different. And yet something happened where they were in one accord. I'm telling you, I think those days of waiting in the upper room, it was soaking. Before the Holy Spirit came, before new wine came, that wineskin had to soak in the presence of God. They were praying. It doesn't say what they did for those 10 days, right? It says they prayed, but what does that look like? I think there's things that the Lord wants to do. Oh, man, there's too much in here, but really quick. There's things the Lord wants to do in this church, in the church, where he needs to bring healing. Those disciples, those 120, there was clashes, there was divisions, there was arguments that had to be under the oil to be healed. There's a scripture, the balm of Gilead, right? That anointing oil that heals wounds. That wineskin that's cracked where things are going to leak through, it has to be soaked and brought back together. There's things that God wants to do in Osnabrück Church where he brings us back together, where we are in one accord, where we flow as one. And I see it coming. So this isn't like a condemning thing, like, oh, you guys got your, get your act together. No, I see how the Holy Spirit is coming. As we learn this soaking, huh, it's not us trying to love one another. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit where we love one another. All right, so I got to go quick. Talked about soil, soaking, I'm skipping. Sorry, a couple pages here. Oh, that was a good one. You're missing out. Um, All right, super quick, because I know I got like five minutes left, so I got to do this. We're going like speed course on this one. So the last, it was the, the setup, the soaking, and the sign. I gave you a little bit precursor of me speaking in tongues, but I love Acts chapter, one, or chapter two, verse four. It says they spoke in tongues. <sighs> Man, how do I unpack this in five minutes? Good golly. We know that when they spoke, it says that other people understood what they're saying, so it was an earthly language. I don't have time to go through it, but if you want to do your homework, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll really quick hit some snippets in it, but I'm not going to read it to you. You can go do your own homework. talks a lot about speaking in tongues. But it gives these points where it's not just speaking an earthly language. There's verses in there. Uh, I'll see if I can find them just really quick. Verse 2. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Wait a second. So there's more than one type of speaking in tongues. Yeah, there's lots of tongues. There's a heavenly language, like the thunderings they heard in Exodus at Mount Sinai, where it's just you and God talking to each other. I'll tell you from experiential knowledge, 99.99% of the time when I pray in tongues, I don't even know what, I couldn't translate it for you in English. I don't know what I'm saying. I have an idea of what I'm praying, like I'm worshiping the Lord, so I know this is worship. I know, oh man, I'm not doing, it, I'm not doing this justice. I'll probably have to do another message on this. Just on tongues, I think. I, in fact, I know I'm going to have to do this. Um, oh, okay, really quick. So, so verse 2, it says, He who speaks in tongues, he speaks mysteries. Mysteries, meaning it's not for interpretation. There are tongues. There's the gift of tongues that is for interpretation. And there's gift of tongues that are for yourself. How is it for yourself? Because in verse 4, he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Not the whole body of Christ himself. So there's a prayer language that is in tongues that you're building yourself up. I, I've had arguments with people that have attended our church and they say, well, maybe the gift of tongues might still be an operation for today, but it always needs interpretation. I'm like, no, read the Bible. You speak in mysteries. 
to God and it's to edify yourself. It's a personal prayer language. And I'm not going to keep skipping through verses in here. In verse 5, he says, I would be delighted if you all spoke in tongues. I'm not saying that's just Paul. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. The Holy Spirit would be delighted if you all spoke in tongues. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. You don't believe me? Take it up with God's word. That's between you and God's word. God's word says it. Verse 15. I will pray in the spirit. I also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I also sing in words I don't understand. Like I said, you can pray in a personal prayer language. You can sing in a new language. You can worship the Lord in that language. You can do spiritual warfare. I'm not going to unpack that right now, but trust me, I know when I'm not worshiping and when I'm doing spiritual warfare in tongues. It sounds like a whole other language. I, I had to preface that in my, when I was a youth pastor and I had to pray over someone in the youth group. I said, okay, the Holy Spirit wants to do something right now and I got to pray over you in tongues and it's going to be a little loud and it's going to be a little strange. And so I just talked about it and then I went for it. And that's, I mean, every kid, any kid that was playing on their phone was not playing on their phone anymore. They were all looking like, what the heck is that guy doing, right? <laughs> Yelling things they never heard before. They're things I never heard before. But things were happening. They were a mystery, Right? That God was doing things in the supernatural heavenly realm that we can't see in our own physical eyes. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. That can sound like super arrogant. Paul saying, well, I'm the best at speaking in tongues. No, what he's saying is, I've developed this gift. I see that a lot of you guys have this gift, but Paul's saying, man, I thank God that I've developed my gift. I practice at it. I remember, oh man, years ago, Jan and Sandy told me, Set a timer. When you pray in tongues, just set, I'm like, set a timer? That's like weird. Why would you set a timer? Because it's like going to the gym and working out. I started praying in tongues, and like 30 seconds went by, and I'm like, oh, only 30 seconds? Okay, I guess I got to keep going, right? And it was work. But as I did it, oh, and I developed that gift. Oh, this is actually a good thing. I learned to edify myself that way. I learned to pray for other people that way. So I love that Paul is saying it's something that's not just a gift, and you, don't, you can't control it. No, you have very much control over the gift. Verse 28, man, I'm going as fast as I can. But if no one, who is, no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church, meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Okay, so that's just going to give you, there's both public tongues and private. Verse 39, we'll end with this one. Don't forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. That's the Bible, that ain't me. Don't forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. It's not isolated to 2,000 years ago. It's not isolated to God back in Exodus. He's saying, I want this. It's a sign. It's, can I give you this quick caveat? I know I said it's the end of my Bible verse reading to you, but I'll say this. This church was actually birthed from Pastor Jack Stiles under the conviction that speaking in tongues is not the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I will tell you, it's the most prominent sign. Throughout Scripture, it's the most prominent sign. In my practical experience, it's the most prominent sign. But it doesn't mean, like I said, I gave you the example of my own testimony. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at camp. I didn't speak in tongues until a week later. So th that's okay. So as Daniel comes up, i got to finish on a point here because I have too many running through my head. But I'll end on this idea, kind of bringing these things all together. There was a setup. There was a time, an appointed time, when the Israelites were no longer slaves, but they had to become royalty. There was an appointed time where these disciples that Jesus had breathed, it says in John, that when he met them in the upper room right after he rose to the dead, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They were born again. They were under the new covenant. They had received Jesus' forgiveness on the cross. But it was setting them up for a later time, the Pentecost, 50 days later, for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Wait, didn't they receive it in John? Yes. But they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. I didn't do justice to teach it all on one Sunday morning, but the Lord is saying, He has set you up to be here today to hear this message. You could have been anywhere today. You could have listened to lots of better pastors than me this morning, but the Lord set you up to be here today because He wants you to hear this message. He wants more for you. He wants more from you. That's the setup. But the soaking, 
the waiting. Moses had to wait a long time. I think some of us, maybe you grew up somewhat with a Pentecostal background. Huh. I have to be careful because I, I don't have to be careful. People came to my mind. And they've wanted the gift of tongues for years, if not decades. And can I tell you, God instituted waiting, but waiting that long, that's not God. There is a waiting. There's a time of spending time in his presence. It doesn't just come like that. But at the same time, it shouldn't take a lifetime. So if you just close your eyes just for a second, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Because I, I feel like I said so many different things, but we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that on this day of Pentecost, you were the promised one that would guide us into all truth. That we don't have to fear you, Holy Spirit. You're the promised one. Jesus, there's no fear in you. So why would there be any fear in your spirit? You said in your word that you don't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And that is who you are, Holy Spirit. You are love. You are power. And you are a sound mind where we can understand you intellectually as well. We can encounter you in an emotional way, but we can also reason and come together and reason that it logically makes sense that I be filled with you. So before we sing this next song, we just take a moment, Holy Spirit, and we wait on you. Have your way. Have your way. Just keep your eyes closed. and We're going to end the service with singing a song, but I encourage you, before you stand up and sing, if you need prayer for anything, and I don't mean just like some super Pentecostal thing, you came here today and you need healing, physically, relationally, you have a request. I'm going to have some leadership up in the front. And we just want to pray with you and pray over you. If you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray over you. If you want to receive the gift, we'll pray over you. But I just want to make it broad enough that it's anything at all that you have a request on. Come on up. And so in just a second, I'm going to have you stand. But those of you that you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, that today is something special, it's unique, it wasn't just a normal Sunday, that he's speaking something unique to you, a freshness, that kainos word, and he wants to refresh you, I'm going to ask that when I ask everybody to stand, you make it one motion. Stand up and then just keep coming all the way up. Make it one continuous motion to come all the way up.